at the end of uh, the preacher all the road, I burst into tears. So I'm going to try not to do that until the end again, if I can. But if I do, just, you know, go grab a coffee or something. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to jump right into I'll try and avoid some, <laughs> some of that. Um, a few months ago, I met my parents and my sister in London, and we decided that what we would do uh, is we would go and see a West End show. Now, I arrived early, so I was there before them, and I had the unenviable task of booking the tickets. Not just booking the tickets, but choosing the show. Now, I don't really have much of a clue about West End shows, so I googled it, got myself to Leicester Square, and I had a big decision to make. Now, we have been there before as a family. When I was 12 years old, uh, we went out to the States. We were visiting my cousins out there, and we stopped off in New York. And my parents thought, great idea, we'll go to Broadway. And so we went to a Broadway show. They picked the show that was... uh, selling the most tickets at the time. We thought, well, that's the best one. We should go to that. And we turned up, and little did we realize that Rent um, is a show uh, about HIV and sharing needles and uh, sex. And as a (laughs) 12-year-old, I was sat next to my mom and dad just feeling desperately awkward. And so I was keen not to repeat that same mistake. So we went with uh, uh, what I thought was quite safe, The Girl from the North Country, which is uh, this uh, show about uh, Bob Dylan. It's using Bob Dylan music uh, about this house in, in, the, uh, in America, in Minnesota, and it's set during the Great Depression, and it follows this family's plight and all of the, the visitors that come through their guest house. Now, it was, it was a good show, and I really enjoyed it. I was captivated by it, but I wasn't captivated by it because the story was necessarily that good, although it was okay. Um, and I wasn't captivated by it because I felt like uh, the music was incredible, though it was good because it was Bob Dylan music with people who could actually sing. So that made it quite good. But it was actually this one actor called Elizabeth. Now, Elizabeth played the role of the wife of the owner of this house, and she had early onset Alzheimer's. And she played it with such authenticity, such a realism about the way in which she did it, that I was just captivated. I was drawn in. This actor just had me transfixed the whole time. And I'm sure you're the same. You've had a film that you've seen or a show that you've gone to see, and an actor has just drawn you in by the way in which they've played that uh, part. Today, people aren't just being drawn in by performances on stage or in a film. They're being drawn in by truth claims on our screens and just about every other public sphere of life. Our acceptance of what they have to say is becoming much less about what is actually said, the content or their arguments, their, their uh, reasoning, and much more about how they make us feel. It's always happened to some degree, 
We have to recognize that. This isn't brand new. It's always happened, but it seems to be happening much more. It's much more prevalent than it has been before. It seems that the more likes you can generate, the more shares you can generate online, uh, the more favorable uh, you are to Google algorithms, the more likely you are to be heard. As where before, it felt like maybe you had to be a li- work a little bit harder in order to be- earn the respect to be heard. Things are changing. It's kind of as if our whole culture has said, well, we don't believe that there is one solid rock upon which to stand. And so when it comes to truth claims, we generally are just going from sand to sand. And the sand is is washing us away. But we need to discover truth that we can stand firm upon. In 2016, the Oxford Dictionary released their word of the year, post-truth. And this is, this is what they said about it. After much discussion, debate, and research, quite ironic from what they go on to say, the Oxford Dictionary's word of the year 2016 is post-truth, an adjective defined as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Truth is increasingly regarded as not a solid absolute in which we can rely upon, but but as something more fluid, more relative. And we can change our minds about what we think truth is, not based on good reason, but based on how we feel. So, by way of introduction, uh, I'm going to play a video that we have... uh, Uh, produced for Glasgow Grace about truth, and uh, I hope this can help us just kind of introduce the whole subject of truth. We're getting a no from the back. Okay, no problem. We don't need it. We can just talk about it instead. It's fine. Um, So truth increasingly is seen as something that you can't grasp. And we're going to go into John 8, verses 31 through 47, when Jesus is in the limelight and he's been receiving some mixed reviews. So that is page 1075, if you have the the Bibles in your seats. And what's been happening is is Jesus has uh, presented his teaching. And some have been applauding and saying, isn't this teaching amazing? Isn't this man amazing? Look at the miracles that he's performing. And some are throwing proverbial tomatoes mostly the religious elites, they're furious. And although the context is totally different, it actually remains a brilliant scene to help us discover what does it look like for us today to pursue truth that we can rely upon, that is solid, that we can stand firm upon. And the way that people approach truth in our culture inevitably seeps into the church. We need to realize that. And we must do everything we can to guard and defend it, particularly when it comes to ultimate truth, the truth about the person of Jesus, about who he says he is. Can we rely upon it? And the answer is yes, we can. And that's what we're going to look at today. So do turn to chapter 8, verses 31 through 47 in the Gospel of John. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, 
you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The answer to him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you're looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come in my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Father God, thank you that there is truth that we can rely upon. Thank you that his name is Jesus. Thank you, God, that through him we can find certainty. We can find someone who is faithful and true. And Father, I pray today that that would permeate our, our very beings, that we in our, our whole beings, our, our minds, our, our bodies, our, our souls, Lord, would every part of us engage with the truth. And we find that we leave this place feeling and sensing and knowing in every part of us that, God, you are true and that we can rely upon you. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Speak to us in power. Amen. Amen. When Jesus takes the stage, he doesn't go looking for self-centered applause. Notice in the scene that Jesus is facing major opposition. And the more that he tells the truth, the closer he gets to being killed by these religious elites. Even where the strongest voices in society are out to get him, he stays courageous and strong. And he needs to be our example for this. So as we go through this, that, that's what I want us to remember. Remember the courage of Jesus. And then there are two things that we're going to look at um, as, as we look through the passage. One of them is this, the truth is sweet and his name is Jesus. And the second is the truth brings a freedom we didn't even know we needed. Catchy titles, right? If you remember them, I'll be very impressed. 
The truth is sweet, and his name is Jesus. Jesus says to really be his disciple, we must hold to his teachings. The whole scene begins way back in uh, chapter 7, verse 14. It's halfway through the Feast of Tabernacles, and Jesus has been presenting his teaching, and the people are amazed. And they ask this question, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus was concerned with truth. He was sent by his Father from heaven to preach, to preach good news, to preach the message of heaven to the earth, to us, to humanity, to preach that there is truth and that it can be relied upon. Now, it could be really easy for us just to kind of skip over that first opening uh, few verses there and say that hold must just mean to agree or to learn something. But it actually means much more than that. It doesn't just convey some sort of uh, isolated cognitive belief. It's not just something that's in our minds, but actually it's much more than that. It means to abide, to embrace. It means that the truth is there for us to be clinged onto, that we should reach out to the truth and, and embrace it with everything we've got. Embracing the truth is actually about embracing the person of Jesus. Because the whole Bible is ultimately about him. Now, Annabelle is uh, 17 months now, and she started to have nightmares. It's a bit sad. And so she'll cry in the night, and one of us generally jumps out of bed and runs up to her and picks her up. And you just pick her up and, and give her a little cuddle. Now, what's really sweet is she's started to cuddle back. And so when she's feeling a bit vulnerable, she'll cling on to you. And she, she, you know you get a sense that suddenly everything's okay. Everything's all right. The world around me is okay again. The nightmare isn't real. What's really real is that mom or dad are holding me, and I can rely upon that. That that is constant and true. Kids need that. They need their parents to be around to pick them up. And the consistency reminds them that love is certain and it's meaningful. They feel safe. Now, in the same way that a, a child's response is full, our response to Jesus should be full. Clinging to him and clinging on to him in, in such a way that we embrace all the truth about him. That we, we embrace him, the person mind, body, and soul. When faith is authentic, our whole being is involved. It's not as if we can engage our mind in some sort of cold isolation. That's not how it works. Now, don't get me wrong here. The glory of this is that no matter how you're feeling, the truth remains, and it remains there for you to cling on to even when you don't feel it. But isn't it glorious when our emotions are engaged with the truth. And so we want to we pursue the truth with everything we have, not just our minds and not just our feelings. It would be a disaster if we only cling, tried to cling to truth with our feelings because then we'd be relying on our interpretation or our understanding of what is true instead of clinging to what the truth really is. 
And that can be found in Jesus and in his word. And so we need to embrace both. John Piper says this, truth without emotion produces dead orthodoxy in a church full or half full of artificial admirers. On the other hand, emotion without truth produces empty frenzy and cultivates shallow people who refuse the discipline of rigorous thought. <coughs> Strong affections for God rooted in truth are the bone and marrow of biblical worship. To pursue truth, we must begin with God who came to reveal his teaching to the world in the person of Jesus. To know God is to fully embrace all the Bible's teaching from Genesis to Revelation. And Jesus then comes along and he says this, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's the truth that we need for liberation. It's the truth that we need in order to truly, really be free. Truth is sweet, and his name is Jesus, and truth brings us freedom we didn't even know we needed. In 1920s America, a wealthy industrialist called Eben Byers had chronic pain in his arms, and it was ruining his golf, and so he needed to find a cure. How sad, imagine it ruined your golf swing. And so he caught wind that some scientists had uh, worked out a cure for chronic pain. And so he did all he could to, to work out what this was. And he said, it's been proven. It's true. If you use this, you'll be better. Trust us. Okay? And so he starts taking this drink. Every day, he takes three of these bottles of radium water every single day. They believed at the time that radium water would be good for you. And so he tells his friends because it starts working. He feels better. He feels great. Even his sex life improves. And he's telling all his friends, you need to get this. This stuff's amazing. And then what happens after a while is he starts to feel a little bit tired. But he was hooked, and so he kept going. What he didn't realize was that this radium was turning his body into a fleshy, mucky pile of radioactive waste. In 1927, the Wall Street Journal led with this headline, the radium water worked fine until his jaw came off. It started to eat holes in his bone structure, and eventually his jaw came off. A few months later, he died. Now, that's a brutal story. But I'm telling you this brutal story because we cannot take sin lightly. Sin is like that. When Satan slithers up to Eve in the garden, he looks to trick her into believing that disobeying God will bring her freedom and power. Did God really say you must not eat the tree from the garden? You will not certainly die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Sinful nature is sneaky. 
It makes you feel free and empowered. It can make you feel great for a while, but like radium water, it's toxic. And it's constantly trying to trick us into living a life away from God and his truth and towards Satan and decay and death. The problem in the garden was not the apple on the tree, it was a pear on the ground. The problem with the world today is not our inability to know the truth. It is our sinful nature leading us anywhere except to the truth. Pharisees challenging Jesus believed they were okay. Most people do, right? We, most of us think we're fine, we're okay. The latest teaching of the day among the Pharisees was that as Abraham's seeds, they were all citizens of the kingdom. They were obeying the law and, and they were under the, uh, the promise of Abraham and therefore they were fine. And so that's why in 532, the Pharisees asked Jesus, how can you say that we shall be set free? We're already sons of the kingdom. We don't need set free. But Jesus says it's not about privilege. It's not about your financial position. It's not about your status in society. And it's not about what family you were born into. None of that means anything when it comes to the truth. The religious elites assumed we are safe. So what on earth do we need this guy for? You can't see that the water they are drinking is toxic. D.A. Carson comments on uh, what the Pharisees' reaction is in this passage. He says this, Their sense of inherited privilege is so strong that they can neither acknowledge their own need or recognize the divine word incarnate before them. This is Jesus telling them about Jesus, and they still don't get it. They still don't see that this is God incarnate before him, before them. We are constantly being lied to about who we are and about who God is. The power of those lies is so appealing that actually sometimes we will want to believe lies. We will want to believe them, even if there is some consciousness somewhere where we know it's a lie. There are lots of actors out there who seem really authentic. They sound like they're giving us wonderful promises, promises that we all want. But the reality is that if they lead us away from the truth, if they lead us away from Jesus, then all they are are satanic. I'm not saying that to shock you. I'm saying that because in verse 44, that's what Jesus says. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. Satan knew that what Eve was doing and then what Adam was doing was going to lead them to death. He's a murderer. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And then listen to this. Jesus says this, yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Because I tell the truth. Our sinful nature is so powerful that we, we don't want to know the truth. We want to pursue our own freedom on our own terms. But the reality is that is like drinking radium water. It is destroying us. And so we must keep turning to the truth. 
time and time again, keep turning to Jesus because only there will we find life and life that is everlasting and life that is true and something that is solid that we can stand upon and truly trust. Only there. It may feel free to say, I don't need Jesus. I can choose whatever I like. I'm free. It's you Christians who are, who are limited. It's you Christians who tie yourselves up in, in knots by all your rules about sex and about drink. But that's just not true. You only have to watch someone's life for a certain length of time to see that that's not true. Actually, the constraints that are put in place by God, within those constraints, there is more freedom than anywhere else. It is glorious to be free in the presence of God, to live like Jesus, to know Jesus, to know your maker, to know how you were designed to have meaning, to be able to live every single day knowing that you are rooted and planted upon something constant and true. I was at the pub with a bunch of friends a few months ago, and to my surprise, someone wanted to talk to me about my faith. I got all excited, and so I started talking furiously with him, and we're having this long conversation, and at the end, I thought, okay, I've got an opportunity here. The 321 course is coming up. I know what I can do. I can invite him around. We'll have a couple of beers together in the house, and we'll have a chat and, and see where it goes, and then maybe by the end of that night, I'll be able to ask him along with me to the 321 course. I had a great plan. He came around, had lots of conversation. It went really well. I thought, this is going great. Definitely going to manage to get him to come along. And so I, I nervously popped the question towards the end. And he turns to me and he says, the classic line, sounds great for you, but it's, not just, it's just not for me. It's like dating, isn't it? You might as well have said, it's not you, it's me. We, we have, what we need to recognize is that even when the truth is clearly spoken to someone, sometimes they're just going to want to believe the lies. They're just not going to want to believe you. It's easier. So people don't want to listen to truth. And without truth, there is no meaning in certainty. So what does this mean? Does this mean more hopeless? Does this mean that it's a hopeless idea to go and tell your friends about Jesus? No, it is not. Don't despair just yet. All this seemingly unavoidable, toxic sin was reigning on the earth when Jesus asked this rhetorical question to the Pharisees. He said this, Can anyone prove me guilty of sin? Verse 46. Anyone? Can anyone prove Jesus guilty of sin? No, not, not even Pilate could find fault in him. Even the Pharisees, the best they could do was blasphemy because he didn't see that the Word incarnate was before him. Before them. They couldn't see that Jesus, God, was walking on the earth right in front of them. All of their study in the Bible was useless because they didn't see that the whole Bible was about the very person who was stood in front of them. And so Jesus asks this rhetorical question because what he's saying is, there's no sin in me. There's no sin in Jesus. And so when Jesus goes to the cross, these men who are trying to kill him, they actually get their way. They try to kill him and they do. They get the Romans to do it for them. 
And when Jesus is hanging on that cross, sinless, he actually swaps his sinless nature, his righteousness for our sinful nature. We need a new nature, one that's not sinful, one that's not toxic, and we need it to be righteous and good so that we can be with God forever, so that we can escape the decay and the death and the lies, and we can accept the life and the everlasting life and the truth from Jesus. And so Jesus on that cross says, I take on your sin, the punishment for your sin. I die in your place. I swap my righteousness for your unrighteousness. You are clean. You are pure. You are declared holy. All the toxins are removed. And then three days later, he rises from the dead. He proves that he's won. The Pharisees got it wrong. Jesus was right. He is the truth. He is the way to life. Truth has come and his name is Jesus. And the truth will set you free. The truth is a solid absolute that we can rely upon because it is worked out by the flesh and blood of Jesus. God himself, who cannot lie, hung on the cross in our place so that we might know the truth. Later in John, Jesus is discussing things with his disciples, and he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Is your heart troubled today? Don't let it be. You believe in God, believe also in me. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Hallelujah. We let go of the attempts to be our own gods, which just leads to decay. And instead, we accept, we embrace the truth about Jesus. Now, there are lots of ways that we can practically do that. And because we're running out of time a little bit, I'm just going to race through them, okay? So the first is this, and this is the most important one. If you're sat here and you think, actually, I've not done that. I've not embraced the truth of Jesus I've not rejected the lies of Satan that are leading me to decay and death, and I need to accept the truth that leads me to life in Jesus, leads me to truth. Then today I just, I encourage you to pray to Jesus and ask him, will you forgive me? And the answer is yes. And embrace him, embrace the truth for the first time. The second is this, read the Bible. Scotland used to be known as the land of the book. And one of the things that we are dreaming about as we dream about what Glasgow Grace will do is that we will in some way be a part of seeing Scotland renewed as the land of the book, a nation that returns to the truth, that rejects the lies and says yes to freedom. And my prayer is that you would find that in pool as well, that I would increasingly, when I come back here and visit you guys, that I would see more and more people who have been set free by the truth, that you'd have to do multiple meetings here because people are being set free by the truth because they're seeing and understanding that the word is active and alive and true and it holds the power to eternal life. And I believe that begins with us becoming more literate in scripture, 
In other words, that we together as a community work out the truth through Scripture. And on that, trust your elders. It's been an amazing privilege for me to sit in elders' meetings this last two years, and I can say to you with all confidence that you can trust your elders. They fight for the truth on your behalf, and they do that because they love God and because they love you and because they love this town. Trust them. Ask them questions where you're unsure about things. They love that. And work out the truth together. And we've got to help our, we've got to help one another to reason. We've got to check sources. We've got to turn to people who maybe have particular gifts in teaching and say, will you help me with this? We all have different gifts and different roles within the church and that role of teaching and, and the role that the elders play in guarding and defending the truth in the church is vital. So keep asking, keep turning to one another and helping each other to get deeper into God's word so that the truth might further set people free. And we've got to help our kids to reason. How many times have you been in the supermarket and hear this? Because I said so. I know know that's tempting, and there might even be a legitimate place for that at times. But that cannot be our only response to our kids. So our kids are being taught all sorts of different things on their laptops, on their, uh, what do you call those, tablets, on their phones, on, in schools. They're being taught all sorts of different things. And some of what they're being taught is lies. And we need to face the reality of that. And one of the ways that you can help equip them is to help them to reason. Help them not just to respond to their feelings about things, but actually think through, how do I know what is true and what is not? And so instead of saying, because I said so, try and explain to them. Actually, it's not great for you to throw bananas at the wee granny across the other side of the supermarket because, you know, you'll bruise the bananas for breakfast and you'll also might bruise the granny. Reason. Talk through things. And that's going to help people to help our kids to reason when it comes to faith. Because our faith is reasonable. There are great reasons for our faith. And they're all summed up in the person of Jesus. There are all sorts of different ways in which we can help one another to discover truth. There are a lot of actors out there screaming truth claims at us. And at times, it can be very tempting to believe what they have to say to us. But we must recognize where the lies are. We must defend the truth, especially this ultimate truth about Jesus, because that is where the source of life is. That is where there is a sweet and dependable, constant truth in the person of Jesus. Let me pray. Father God, thank you that... Jesus is truth, and that he has come to rescue us. Thank you, God, that from Genesis to Revelation, the whole of the Bible is summed up in Christ. Thank you, God, that you are here, that you have spoken to us by the power of your Spirit and in your Word. And I pray, Lord, for these guys that they would cultivate more and more a a love for your word 
a love for your word that transforms them, but also transforms this town, that transforms this nation. Lord, we are so thankful for this group of people. We love them so much. We're so thankful we've got to spend these years with them. And Lord, my, my deepest, my most earnest prayer for them is that you would continue to set them free by the truth. That you would draw closer and closer with them by your spirit. And that we would have together as different churches in different places this bond that is united by you, Jesus. You are the glue. And we pray for generations. Glasgow Grace Church and Gateway Church would be fighting together for truth. We love you. And God, we commit everything that we're about to do in Glasgow and everything that is about to happen in Poole to your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Wonderful. Well, we're going to start by responding to this by singing a song together that's all about trusting in Jesus and trusting in his word and his truth. Okay, so I'll invite you to stand. We'll start singing.